I thought it appropriate to speak upon the subject. Um, it's not something that happens every day, is it? Um, I mean, there's places in Scripture where you see that 3,000 souls were added to the church. I promise you one preacher wasn't baptizing 3,000 people. There's a bunch of people baptizing um, 3,000 people that day. But um, again, I thought it appropriate to preach upon the subject of um, baptism. Daniel and I had a conversation last Thursday um, in, in regards to this. Some of those thoughts that we talked about, I'll, I'll be bringing out once again this morning. But um, those who have truly fulfilled the commandment to be baptized in obedience to Christ's command have already been baptized into Christ, right? In the Spirit. This is, this is not something I've, I've, I've nursed this, this uh, water back here to try to get it as warm as possible, Daniel, over the past um, 24 hours. Um, well, there was one time that we, we had a baptism that, I don't know if you remember, Dad, but it, it, that thing back there leaked and it flooded you know, a couple of pews out uh, in front here. So thankfully that didn't happen this time. But it was built back in the 60s. So I showed Daniel the, the stairs going up and down. They're pretty steep uh, and old. Uh, but um, we're thankful to, to have some warm water on a cold day instead of some cold water on a cold day to be able to enter into. But, um, you know, this this is something that, that's been coming for a while for Daniel. Um, this isn't something necessarily sudden as far as the baptism is concerned. Um, the Lord has, has been calling him unto himself for some times. So what I'm saying is that this baptism is a result of what the Lord has already done, right? So not everybody feels that way. There are some who preach that this is what saves. They believe in what is called baptismal regeneration, that that's what regenerates you. Oh, sorry. No, I don't. But now there's a green light. So <laughs> those who could not hear me online, you should be able to hear me now. Um, sorry about that. Uh, my mind's not real clear this morning, I'll be honest with you. Pray for me. Um, you know, if you want to do that, you know, in your mind right now, you know, or during the course of the time that I'm preaching, but I'm, I'm having, I'm having a gout attack and I don't know if anybody in this room has ever had one of those before. It's a form of arthritis, but it's very painful. Um, and so it, the pain makes it a little difficult to think sometimes when it's, when it's, uh, when it's bad enough. Um, I told Brother Jerry this morning that there have been times when I've had these attacks that I thought surely it would feel better just to cut my foot off. Um, but uh, <laughs> speak louder because of the pain. Yeah. But here's the thing. It's not baptismal regeneration. When we come to these baptismal waters, we've already been regenerated. Uh, it's because of what has been done. Um, I've, I've spoken with people in the past who their parents have brought me, you know, their, their children and, and I began to talk to them and began to ask them, you know, did they, they understand what sin is Have they repented of their sin and they, they would tell me, you know, no, well, this isn't for a person who 
is 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 outside of Christ. This is this doesn't do that for you. Um, you know, this is something that's done because of what the Lord's already done in a person's life. If we ask the question, what is baptism? Brother Jordan would be quick to tell you that it is the answer of a good conscience. So that goes right along with what I've been saying, you know, in regards to a work that's already been done, a work that's already happened in the heart, uh, a, a work that's already been done by God in a person. This is the answer of a good conscience, a good conscience. So we find that in 1 Peter 3, verse 21, it says, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Now he puts in parentheses here, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but it is the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that's what it is. It is if somebody asks you, what is baptism? I, I, I sat in, the, in, the, in a barbershop chair one time and a person asked me just out of the blue, um, this was something that was on their mind, apparently. They're like, what is baptism? And so here's your answer. It's the answer of a good conscience. And the person may ask you, well, what do you mean by that? You know, what do you mean by a person having a good conscience? Well, it's a conscience that's been reconciled to God. I mean, Brother JT was telling us this morning about being at enmity with God. You know, before we came to Christ, by God's grace... Through faith in Christ before we came, we were enemies. Now, if you stop the average person on the street, they're not going to say, I'm an enemy of God. But how are they living their lives? In, a, in accordance to God's word. How are they living in accordance with what God has commanded? Um, you know, that's, that's the thing. The Bible says that God is angry I was going to ask if anybody could finish it. You did, sister. Yes. God is angry with the wicked. If you're outside of Christ, that's what you are in God's sight. You are wicked. God is angry with the wicked every day. We are under the wrath and the judgment of God if we're outside of Christ. And if we die in that state, your life isn't over. You have an eternal soul that's only going to abide in one of two places. It either will abide in hell, separated from God, or it will abide in heaven and enjoying the presence of God and worshiping him forevermore. Colossians 2.12 talks about being buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. I mean, this, this is what's happened in a person who's... Be, this is no small thing. This, this is nothing that we can accomplish. I could have sat and, and preached to Daniel for years and years and years and years. As long as he would listen, he knows I can talk. You know, I can't save him. I can preach the gospel unto him, and the scripture's plain in Romans chapter 1 that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation and them which believe. So this is the power of God. Salvation. We, we, can, we can sing and say, I have decided to follow Jesus. It's in our hymn books. You know, we know the hymn. And, and we have. You know, Daniel did make that decision. 
But that decision came as a result of what God has done within him, what God has done within his heart. Because apart from that work of regeneration within us, apart from the Spirit calling us unto himself, we would not come. We were happy in our sins. We, we loved to have it so. We were drinking in, the scripture says, iniquity like what? Like water. Like water. Or if you're like my dad and water is not your favorite thing to drink, we could put milk in there. He loves to drink milk. Um, but drinking in iniquity like water. But he says you being dead. I mean, that's, that's the thing, right? We're dead in trespasses and sins. He says, you being dead in your sins, that's what we were before we were, what, quickened, is what the scripture tells us. Yeah, till, we were, till the Lord awakened us. There came a point in Daniel's life when the Lord awakened his need of Christ. When the Lord awakened what his sin and what we could talk about all of our, those of us that are in Christ, what our sin looked like in God's sight. And we felt the condemnation and we felt the judgment and we felt even worthy of that judgment, worthy of hell because of what, uh, because the sins that we have committed against God. I mean, most people don't walk around thinking about sins they've committed against God. Those who've been quickened Think about sin. Um, you know, those who haven't been quickened, and that word quickened means to be made alive. He, what do we read there? Being dead in sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. What a blessed state to come to when you've been in a place where you were under the condemnation and wrath of God, and you knew that if you were to die at that moment, you would be in hell. But you called upon the name of the Lord, and the Lord graciously heard and mercifully answered and brought you to a place where you find there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Having forgiven you all your trespasses, you know, we talked last week about them being cast as far as the east is from the west. There, there are hymns that have been written about in the sea of God's forgetfulness. You know, they've been cast and there's, they, there's, there's, there's no bottom. There's, there's no, they're not going to be seen again. Um, they've, they've sunk out of existence in, in, in some respect. But it says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. You know, there was all of these sins, all of these things that were against us by the blood of Christ, they've been washed away. They've been removed. They're no longer against us. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way. There was this that was between us and God, right? Our sin, our transgression was between us and God. And what did God do? It says, nailing it to his cross been nailed to the cross. Christ has paid the debt. Our pardon has been purchased. I mean, that is the gospel that we preach. And here we have 
one before us who has presented himself as a candidate for baptism and this is the reality we read in verse number 15 it says having spoiled principalities and powers he made a show of them openly triumphing over them in it what's he talking about he's talking about satan once we walked according to the course of this world once we walked according to the prince of the power of the air. Once we were children of disobedience, right? But now, that's no longer. That's been, that's been nailed to the cross. Our, our sins, our rebellion against God has been removed and the devil has been spoiled. You, you've heard the term before. It's not, we're not talking about a spoiled you know, piece of fruit here. You know, we're, we're talking about warfare. We're talking about spiritual warfare. We're talking about a battle that took place. And we're talking about you who were a captive of the devil that the Lord has delivered. He has freed you from Satan's clutches. And it says here that he made a show of him openly, triumphing over them in it. So, a good conscience, one that's been reconciled, as we said, unto God through faith in Christ. While we were at enmity before, now, no longer. What, what are you able to, how, how are you able to refer to God? What is the endearing term that's been given unto you to use? What is he unto you? You're a child of his, what is he? Father, isn't that when the disciples said, teach us to pray? Isn't that the thing that, that when the Lord begins to give them that model prayer that, that contains all the components of what our prayer should look like, the very first thing that the Lord said was, Father, which art in heaven. Father in heaven. I, I, I first learned that from Brother Conrad. I'd hear him pray. And he would always start his prayer that way. Same way every time. Father in heaven. I, it, just, it became something that I was like, that, that is a reality. Um, it's not just something I like that he did. No, that's true. That, that, that is a truth for us as his children that he is our heavenly father. So that when we come to him in prayer, we can say, and we should say, Father. I mean, what does that feel like to you? Isn't that a wonderful thing? I mean, you might know a greater reality of that if you had been an orphan and not known a father. And you were spiritually. We've been adopted. Brother JT likes to talk about that, doesn't he? We've been adopted. We can call him father. That's amazing. We were at enmity with God. We were lost. We were dead. But we've been made his own through Christ. And we can call the God of heaven, the God of the universe, the God who's created all things, gives life and breath to all things. You can call him and come to him at any time. You can call him father. You ought to be thankful. I ought to be thankful. I ought to be saying, Father, thank you that I can call you Father. Thank you that I can call you Father. 
You, you stop the average person on the street, they'll tell you they believe there's a God. A lot of them. Well, today, maybe not so many as whenever I was a kid, you know, but that's not enough. Even the devils, James says, believe and tremble. But we were in a place where we had no peace. Daniel has peace. If you're in Christ, you have peace with God. You were an enemy of God. Now you have peace. You can call him Father. That's that's incredible. Yeah. We have peace with God. Yes, we have peace with God. We have peace now where there was no peace before. God came unto us. Our consciences were pricked. They became bothered until we were brought to a place of conviction and then to a place of repentance until we saw our sin for what it was in God's sight and our great need of Christ. And we called upon him and we have peace with God. Peace that the scripture talks about this peace. What kind of peace is it? It passes knowledge. It passes understanding. It's an incredible peace. It's not just a little bit of peace. It's a great peace. It's a wonderful peace. It's a joyous peace that we have in Christ. The, that's in summary form. This is this is what has happened unto Daniel. This, it's, and it happened unto us, didn't it? If we're in Christ, it happened unto us. We've been brought to this place. We've been brought to, if you want to think about salvation, you know, as, you know, in, in biblical days, I mean, we go to a faucet and turn it on, but they had wells, right? And they had to send a bucket down in that well and they had to draw the water out. We've been brought to the wells of salvation and we're able to draw out with joy. We're able to draw from this well. Salvation isn't a one-time experience. You don't just walk down an aisle and you make a profession of faith and you get baptized um, and that's it. And, and that's, that's the extent of salvation. No. Salvation is, 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 we've been saved. We have been saved, right? One preacher put it in these terms I heard a long time ago. We have been saved. We are being saved. And guess what? We shall be saved. We shall be saved. We, we received the earnest of our inheritance. We're going to receive the fullness of our inheritance. We, we, we now dwell in fleshly bodies. We're going to dwell in glorified bodies. We couldn't stand before God in these bodies. We'd fall at His feet as dead. But in those glorified bodies, we'll be able to dwell in His presence forevermore. Brother Conrad said that if water could wash away sin, that one of us would so pollute the Mississippi that it would no longer be fit for fish or for man. Only one. Water doesn't wash away our sins. The blood of Christ has washed away our sins. What can wash away our sins? We sing that hymn, don't we? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? Nothing but the blood. That blood speaks for us. In, in the sight of God, when he looks upon you 
as a child of God, that blood speaks for you. It has washed away all the sins that were against you. Well, we've been going through Psalm 25, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here in Psalm 25, but verses 8 through 10. Psalm 25, verses 8 through 10. Verse 8 says, Good and upright is the Lord. Look what it says next. Therefore will he teach sinners in the way. Therefore will he teach sinners in the way. He came unto us and he showed us the way. What is the way? Christ is the way, right? The Lord said that about himself. Uh, I was reading an article recently that Alistair Begg had put out and he was talking about some temple somewhere that had nine different porticos that you could walk through and they all represented different religions as different ways. No, the Lord was plain. He said, I am the way. There is no other way. It's Christ and Christ alone. There is no other way. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore will he teach sinners in the way. No coincidence that we're at that place in Psalm 25. I had no idea when we even began the 25th Psalm that today we would be having a baptismal service for Danny. But the Lord knew. And here's the verses that we're in right now. Right now. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore will he teach sinners in the way. We will have what one preacher said here in a little while. You're going to have a sermon in shoes. Danny's going to go into those waters back there. And you're going to have a sermon in shoes. Those feet will wade into the baptistry submitting and confessing that they have no other hope than Christ alone for salvation. No other hope. So we see this morning the graciousness of the Lord on display. That he would save any of us. How often do you drive down the road or you sit, you know, in a, in a chariot home or, you know, wherever, you know, walking through the woods and you're like, Lord, why me? Why would you have mercy on me? Why would you show such grace to me? Why would you forgive me of my sins? Why would you take me unto yourself? Why would you make me your child? Why would you save my soul? Oh, how good the Lord is. Oh, how good and upright the Lord is. That he has shown such grace and such mercy unto us, opening our eyes to see our sins, opening our eyes to see his wrath against us, opening our eyes to see the righteousness that there is in Christ, a way of reconciliation unto God by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, before it was sin that defined our lives. That's what defined us. I mean, that, that, that's, that's what the term sinner, you know, is. That's what we did. That's what we were. In Christ, that's not what we are now. How does, how does the Scripture refer to you? I mean, how many times does Paul start a letter this way? What does he call you? To the saints. 
He doesn't say to the sinners at Ephesus or to the sinners at Galatia, but he says to the saints. You know, sin defined our lives before, but this whole term about being a saint, what is that speaking of? It's speaking of our hunger and our thirst after righteousness. It speaks of God saying, be ye holy as I am holy. Be ye perfect as I am perfect. Good and upright is the Lord. He's perfect, right? He's called us unto that, to be holy. Now, I will be the first to admit, we missed the mark. I mean, imagine any of us standing in front of a target with a bow and an arrow. Now, you may be a proficient bowman. I don't know anybody here unless you had a crossbow, you know, maybe with a scope on it, you know, but just a regular old bow and an arrow. And we'd aim for the bullseye. You know, how many of us would actually hit it? And when we did, we might think, well, I, I don't know how that happened because I'm not, I'm not that good of a shot. But we, we aim for holiness every single day. And yet, how often do we fail? We do. We do. But if we sin, scriptures plainly it tells us, plainly tells us that if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So sin defined us before, but now what defines Daniel? A hunger and a thirst after righteousness. A life that now says, Lord, here I am. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. Lord, do with me, with my life, what you will. I belong unto you. My life is yours. It's no longer my own. Lead me. Guide me. I mean, as you go further into Psalm 25 and look at verse number 9, it says the meek will he guide. That hasn't always defined us. When we were sinners, we were not meek. We were proud. We were arrogant. We were rebellious. But now, in Christ, a new heart, right? God's Spirit within us. Lord, teach me. Lord, help me to know the meek will he guide in judgment and the meek will he teach his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. That's our desire. That hasn't always been our desire. There was a time that wasn't our desire, but that's our desire now is to keep his commandments and to keep his testimonies. Lord, what does your word say? What does it say unto me? And we don't just read it, but we want to do it. We don't just read it and let these things pass through our minds and go in one ear and out the other. He's put a hunger within us after righteousness, a thirst after righteousness. You know what it is to be hungry, don't you? Admittedly, we don't know what it is to be hungry like people in third world countries that are digging through trash cans today trying to find some scrap of something to eat. The Lord has given us an abundance. You may not like the Brussels sprouts or broccoli on your plate, but there it is. They don't even have that. You may turn your nose up that and say, I don't want that. I want macaroni and cheese. You know, 
how gracious the Lord's been to it. We know what it is to be somewhat hungry. We know what it is to be maybe thirstier more than we know what it is to be hungry. You know, uh, Isaac, Isaiah, y'all still playing football? Yeah, I know Danny does. You know what it's like, don't you? To be out there on that field and the sun is beating down, much different than a day like today. It's cold outside, right? But that sun's beating down and the inside of your mouth feels like somebody stuck a piece of cotton, you know, in there. And you're just waiting for the moment that the coach says that you can have a water break. I don't know what that's like for y'all now. You know, we, we had a PVC pipe and they would turn it on, water would, you know, shoot up out of the middle of it. They didn't walk around with squeeze bottles and squirt them into your mouth. You know, I don't know if that's what y'all get or not these days, but, but, uh, you know what it is like to be thirsty. Well, as a believer, you hunger and you thirst after righteousness. To do what is right in the sight of God. I mean, that, that's part of being justified. We, we've been justified and been made right in the sight of God. We desire to do what is right in the sight of God through the sanctification that's in operation in us. We want to do what is right in the sight of God. So we were anything but meek before but we've been taught of God. We were proud and we were arrogant, but we've been brought to a place now where we are meek. We're, we're teachable and we want to learn and we hunger and thirst after those things that God would say unto us, what he would have us to do. We want to do his will. Lord, here's my life. Now, I was talking to Cohen about it Thursday when... I was sitting around the table there with the young men that were here for Bible study. And Cohen has an idea of what he'd like to do. But above and beyond that, and he would admittedly say so. You know, that may be the thing the Lord calls him to do, but Lord, if it's not, then lead me in that way. Teach me in the way. Guide me in the way. I, I, I want to acknowledge you in, in all my paths, in all my ways, so that you would direct my path. Listen to this out of Isaiah 12. And in that day, think again about this thought of the well of salvation. Isaiah 12 verse 1 says, And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord. That's not something that when we were outside of Christ we necessarily said unless we were using the Lord's name in vain, right? I mean, I can't tell you how many times I hear people say, Oh my God. They're not calling upon the Lord. They're taking the Lord's name, but they're not calling upon the name of the Lord. It, it's, it's, it's used as an expression of surprise. Or, I can't believe that. Um, but so many times I hear people say that, and I say, well, you know, what do you have to do with God? Because I know their life is, they don't care about God. But yet they'll use his name. Um, but in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Listen, thou wast angry with me. God was angry with us. He's angry with the wicked every day. But thine anger in Christ, thine anger is turned away. And thou comforts that you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Has the Lord become your salvation? And in that day shall you say, Praise the Lord. 
Call upon his name. Declare his doings among the people. Make mention that his name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for he hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout. Listen, thou inhabitant of Zion. We were not a citizen of that place at one time, but now we are. We are a citizen of heaven. For great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. But I passed over this part. It says that he's become our salvation. Therefore, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. So that, and, and Danny and I were talking about this, so that now, if I should sin, and we talked about it last week, there could be some great sin before us. You think about what David did with Bathsheba and Uriah. There could be some great sin before us that we might fall into. But if we do, again, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. We can draw from this well of salvation. We can draw from it. What a joy it is to be able to say that God is no longer angry with me. If you're outside of Christ, trust me, because what I'm telling you is what the Word of God says. God is angry with you. What a joy it is to be able to say that God is no longer angry with me. How good it is that we found His anger turned away from us that we can say God is my salvation that we can say I will trust in him and not be afraid that we can say that we've not been given a spirit of fear but of power and of love and a sound mind to be able to say that I'm an inhabitant that I am a citizen of heaven this world is not my home I'm just traveling through Right? The Lord is coming one day for me. Whether He comes for me before He returns to the earth or He comes to me in, in the time that He does return to the earth and take all of us together, those that are alive and remain, caught up in the, the air, you know. First uh, Peter 1 4, Peter puts it like this He calls it an inheritance that is incorruptible and that is undefiled and that fadeth not away and it's reserved. We may not have very many occasions where things have been reserved for us. There's been a few times that I've gone to an event where at a table there was a card that had my name on it. That space was reserved for me. Peter talks about it that way. An inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. He told the disciples, I'm, I'm coming back. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come back and receive you unto myself. We are an inhabitant of that land. Only those of us in Christ can rejoice in these things because we understand them. We know them. No one can ever rejoice in salvation unless he's felt his need of it. What he's been saved from. What have you been saved from? 
the guilt of sin, the condemnation of sin, the dominion of sin, the power of death, the dominion of the grave. O grave, where is thy victory? Right? The vengeance of everlasting fire. Can you imagine? I know what the pain in my feet feel like right now. Both my feet are just on fire right now. They hurt. I know what it felt like a couple of weeks ago to have the flu. And, and I didn't make it to the doctor in time to get, you know, something to lessen the effects of it. I, I had to face, I haven't had that in a long time. I've been at sick in a long time. And some of you have been sick here lately. That's just, I mean, such a small thing. And it's, and it's for a short time. I mean, even if we had a terminal illness that, we, that we've had for 20 you know, years, it's nothing. What a, what a drop. Even if it wouldn't even register as a drop in the bucket. An eternity of vengeance. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Can you imagine being in hell for eternity? No, no chance that you could ever escape. No reason to believe that you could ever be pardoned. Can you imagine? You know, we, we see a little bit of it, you know, with the rich man. He lifts his eyes up and, 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 and he says, Abraham, Father Abraham, send Lazarus with just a drop of water to cool my tongue because I am tormented in this flame. No wonder, having been saved by grace, the psalmist says in Psalm 914, I will rejoice in your salvation. I'll rejoice in your salvation. So, you know, in short, baptism doesn't save anyone. God does. I told you before, my mother-in-law used to work for the state, for the prison system. I've told you before, if baptism would save people, we could just set up a trough and we could just run them right through it, couldn't we? I mean, just one right after another. If, if that would regenerate them, you know. But baptism doesn't save anyone. God does. A lot of people have gone through these waters and it did nothing for them. I, I would venture to say, I mean, that's been back there since 1961, is that right? 61, 65. I would venture to say that there have been people that have gone through this very baptismal pool that all that happened for them is that they got wet. Like we said, baptism is for those who have already had a work done in them, for those who have already been saved. It is a testimony. And that was the thing that Danny said to me whenever we were talking about it Thursday and arranging for this today. He's saying, this I desire to do because it is a thing that the Lord has called me to do, that he said in his word that I am to do. And he said, it is a testimony. That's what it is. It's the answer of a good conscience. It is a testimony unto all of us of the wonderful grace of God in his life, of his faith and his trust in Christ, that he, like all of us, 
have been arrested. We've been convicted. We've been condemned as a criminal, but we've been pardoned through faith in Christ. Christ taking our place, suffering the wrath of God that was due unto us. So what's happening today is a, is a testimony of the work of the Spirit of God. And you think about Nicodemus. The Lord told him, you must be born again. And the Spirit... And it's like the wind and it, and, it, and it blows where it will and you hear the sound thereof and you, you see the trees, you know, moving. Um, well, that's happened. There's been a move in Danny's life. Just like any of the rest of us here that are in Christ, there's been a move in our lives. The Spirit of God has breathed life into us. Just like you know, Adam was formed out of the dust of the earth, there he was laying there on the ground. And God breathed into his nostrils physical life. Born once. That's a blessing to be born once. But not as blessed as it is to be born twice. To be born again. To be born anew. To be given a new heart. To be given a renewed mind. When we're baptized, we submit ourselves to the ordinance of God in obedience to His command. We humble ourselves even to the point to be baptized by a man. Submitting ourselves. Now we're, we're called to submit ourselves to one another. And there's a picture of it, you know, certainly, you know, here. But our authority for baptism comes from the Lord. He says in Matthew 28, 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. I can only baptize with water. I can't regenerate. I can't regenerate. God alone can do that. So what we are doing here today is merely a symbol. It's an outward profession, and it's a picture. You know, I want you to think about it. I, I, don't, I didn't build this. If I had, I wouldn't have built it the way it's built in different ways, but the main thing I'm talking about is that glass in the front. Now, the water level we have is beneath it, but it could go up into the glass. But the reason why I say that is because baptism is a picture of our death. Yeah. I've been buried with him in baptism, the scripture says. The old Russell, down beneath the water, completely covered, buried, gone. Buried with him in baptism, raised again in newness of life. There is a new Danny. The old Danny's been buried. There's a new Danny that's been raised in newness of life that has repented and turned away from his sins unto God. So baptism has a definite part in salvation. We think about it this way. The answer of a good conscience. A testimony of what God's done in our lives. Can you be saved without baptism? Danny and I talked about that. We're like, well, the thief on the cross didn't get baptized. But what I say, if he'd had the opportunity, would he have been? Sure. Sure. If he'd had the opportunity, he would have been. So 
What does baptism mean? It is a confession of our faith that we have died to our old life. The old man is buried. And we are resurrected to a new life in Christ. It's a testimony of our repentance that we've turned from sin unto God. To live for Christ. And to live for Him forevermore. So we disappear beneath those waters, the old man that polluted everything that he touched. I mean, outside of Christ, we polluted everything that we touched. Things that God had given us for good, we perverted them. He's gone and raised as one who hungers and thirsts after righteousness. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Colossians 3.1, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth, for you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. So being baptized speaks of our union in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Again, our affections in Christ have changed. They've changed. We no longer serve sin, but we serve righteousness. 1 John 3.14 says, We know that we passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. We love the brethren. First John 2, 3 says, And hereby do we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. There's that hungering and thirsting after righteousness again. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him, Scripture says. First John 4, 13 says, Hereby we know that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he's given us his spirit. We may used to have read this book, but it was just words on a printed page. And the Spirit of God came and breathed life into us. And now, like we sing about, beyond the sacred page I seek thee, Lord. These words speak unto me. God speaks unto me through his word. So again, what does baptism say in closing? It is a confession of faith in Christ. It's a testimony of repentance. It's the answer of a good conscience. It is, it's a symbolic burial of a criminal who has been judged and executed and resurrected of a new creature who bears no resemblance to the old one. I am not what I was. I'm not what I was. That one's been buried, and I've taken on a new likeness. A new likeness. The likeness of Christ. That's the image the scripture says that we're being conformed into, right? Into the image of Christ. Well, there were two hymns. Um, has that book still, has it been closed, I guess, Lydia? There were two hymns that um, Danny had requested that, that we would sing. We'll sing one, you know, now uh, while he and I are back there and we're uh, getting ready. And then we'll sing one after. Um, but um, what's the first one, Lydia? Hmm? 477 in the blue book. Is that right? Okay, number 477 in the blue book. 477. 
You ready? 